coming on here, man. I appreciate it. Of course. So getting right into this thing, how would you describe what it is that you do? What does it mean to be so awake? <laughs> yeah, the name the name of the uh, the channel and the the company is kind of funny. Years ago, uh, there was a an exploration in creating some retail, like some T-shirts and things like that. And the name of the company at the time was So Good, and that was just something we had come up with. And then shortly, um, well, let's see, it was in November. Angela wanted to do a uh, interview. And after the interview, he asked me if I wanted to work with people. And uh, that the first response was just laughter because I didn't, <laughs> I don't know, how, how do you, how do you communicate awakening to someone when everything is awakening, you know? And after sitting on it for about a day, it became really clear that it was just more of a sharing of compassion, just um, reminding people that they're okay. And that, that made a lot more sense. So, uh, to answer your question a little bit more thoroughly, it's um, it's we just drop clues. We just remind people that you know that life kind of lives itself, and that it doesn't have to be so difficult along the way. And then every once in a while, there comes up an intuition of certain things that somebody can do to get a little bit closer to that center that seems to always be there, that sense of awareness. Hmm. Well said. So, what are those certain things that we can do? Um, you know, Buddhism really has it down when it talks about that all suffering seems to be coming from thought. Without thought, if if you spend time with that, if you get still enough, it becomes really, really clear that um, there isn't suffering at all. So, it's about coming to terms with that. So, you know, one, one thing that's often said is that we don't do awakening work, but we do help the identity come to terms with being the identity. And that's... That's the way to kind of look at this. Wow. Yeah, I never heard it put that way. The identity coming to the identity. Hmm. So if we could extrapolate upon that a little bit more, what does that mean? What is the identity, if we can try and describe it, that we're coming into? For it to come to terms with itself, it, it seems like this, it's a really at its most fundamental, it seems like a protection mechanism. And uh in certain environments, it's, it's extremely useful. Um, and maybe there might even be an evolutionary purpose for it. Maybe our ancestors went through a very difficult time and the human beings that survived were more, um, more identified, more likely to enter into that state of survival and, and protection. And I think maybe it became kind of like a way of existence altogether, even if there wasn't clear and present danger, it's this need to protect, a need to protect a self against a potentially threatening environment. And that can, it can kind of backfire on us quite a bit. And so really, it's not about getting rid of the identity necessarily, but it's having a realization that there's more to the story than what the mind has been telling us the entire time. Yeah. And it wants to self-reference. It really does. It wants to know this reality. It wants to know what it is, but because of how this particular mechanism works, it seems to only be able to see two dimensions of this multi-dimensional reality that we live in. Hmm. What are those two dimensions? Well, um, it usually shows up in duality. So for instance, oh, yeah. you have good, bad, right, wrong, happy, sad, pain, oh, pleasure, okay. those types of experiences, because they seem so bold and one-sided, 
it's really strong evidence that the the way the mind works is is like a binary code, like a computer almost ones and zeros, ones and zeros. And there is like this third space that we don't often explore if we're over intellectualized, and that is the sensory space, feeling mm-hmm. and feeling all all the time. Yeah. And especially for men in our culture, you know, that's that's not something that's been necessarily encouraged for quite a while. Yeah. It's like an upgrade to the operating system. Yeah. You know, it's always been there. I mean, one question that comes up is, is there ever a time in your existence where you couldn't feel? Hmm. And it's most people can't come up with anything because it's always been there. Yeah. It's just that do we embrace it or do we ignore it? Most of the times I feel like, especially like you said, for men, we tend to ignore it. You got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it seems like it probably happens when we're really young. One of the patterns that seems to be developing is right around the time of forming language, an event occurs that feels really personal and it it's relatively traumatic. And in that instant, it seems like this identity comes online and says, this sensation that you're feeling, this feeling that you're feeling, I'm going to protect you from that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And then we develop a series of triggers, um, behaviors, reactive measures and and beliefs along the way that keep us away from feeling primarily that feeling, but there's layers of these feelings in between. And when I'm pointing to feelings, one of the things that's really useful for people, if they're interested here is to see if they can feel something without identifying or labeling it. So maybe the first experience is sadness, but what's underneath that assumption, that umbrella of, Oh, this is sadness because it's still kind of general. If you get all the way into the individual aspects of the sensation, you start to move beyond the interpretation of what you're feeling in your body. Mm. Wow. Damn, man. So essentially, when we cut ourselves off from feeling, we cut ourselves off from our true identity. The, Boom. Yeah, the um, non-dualistic aspect of ourself. And then essentially, we're just living a lie. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or a half-life, you know, yeah. here's, consider it, consider this. What if you were made perfectly? What if there's nothing wrong with you? What if every aspect of your truest nature is unchangeable and just perfect the way it is? It's worthy of exploring that to, to know for yourself. And the best part about non-duality and any of this, these pointings is it doesn't matter the words coming out of this mouth. It doesn't matter the concepts. All that matters is that you are willing to see the truth for yourself. That's it. And so it's not really an identity that we're getting in touch with. It's just our truest nature. It's just what we are made of. And it seems like this identity that gets developed over time is is wanting to reject our truest aspects. Yeah. It's quite powerful, man. Yeah. It seems to be the path in the most pure sense is we have to extricate uh, the self or the false sense of self to reach, I guess, the uppercase S self, one could say. Uh, it's just like, it's tricky, it seems. I mean, it's not, in one, in one hand it is because we've been programmed, right? We've been conditioned, it's in our loins, it's in our DNA just to survive. So it's like, it's we're there's a veil there's definitely a veil there but it's thinly veiled it's definitely very thin because like you said it's the most 
what we're coming to realize is our most uh, it's our truest nature it's really what we are it's our birthright it's how we were born for sure and how we're supposed to live so it's like there's one side of me that sees it as very difficult to attain but yet it's not you know yet it's it's here and now it's hidden in plain sight i mean you have a point there is this part there's a it seems like the closer we get to understanding or having any kind of knowledge uh or it's not quite the right word. Any kind of awareness of this reality, the more paradoxical it seems to become. And so without even being certain about this, it seems like this reality is built upon paradox after paradox after paradox. Yeah. And what this is, is so simple, yet so extremely difficult simultaneously. Yeah. That's the irony in it. That's it. And there's going to be a lot of ironies along the way. If any of your viewers or yourself continues to walk down a path in this way, you you will find a lot of contradictions and to be able to hold on to anything that is seemingly true or discovered loosely, there's a benefit there. If you hold on loosely, then as it moves and as it changes, because nothing ever stays permanent, then you are somehow in the flow still. And that by itself is just a really pervasive sense of well-being. We just feel good being alive and in the mix of this universe as it is. Mm. Yeah. So here's some questions you can ask yourself. What beliefs are, what beliefs are obscuring my view of this reality? And one of the hardest ones is there's problems out there. If there is a problem out there, then everything we see will have the potential to be a problem. And over time, the way the identity works with confirmation bias is that everything soon becomes a problem. And then we find ourselves painted into a corner, so to speak. So the way to point here is to say that which perceives of a problem is the problem. Mm, I see. (laughs) Same thing with suffering. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will come on to this or come into this path with a goal or a an agenda. I am doing this to eliminate suffering. But if we settle with that and just get really still with it for a second, we start to see, oh, but you've already negotiated that there is suffering. And by negotiating that there is suffering, there is no end to suffering. So what if suffering doesn't exist at all? These are the kinds of questions that everyone can ask themselves and to explore firsthand and you might start to see some some clues along the way mm. what we could refer to as breadcrumbs <laughs> do you feel as though our suffering is kind of what catalyzes us into be able to examine our suffering a little differently i mean it's literally the first noble truth of buddhism so do you think it's kind of like what gets us started mm, yeah i mean really it seems to be what hinges most of the identity in general, just this overall sense of lacking. Yeah. And that sense of lacking can really quickly turn into a variety of other types of suffering. And a lot of people that when they look at motivation or ambition, if they settle with that and they really examine where that seems to be based from, it comes from a sense of lacking. I need to get something to make this whole. I need to find a way um, to fix this problem. And once we get to a place where we're really, really still and stillness 
has a has a variety of, of features, but it's it's also a very simple way to exist. We start to see that there's nothing wrong with this. This is already whole. It can't be. It cannot be corrupted. It can't be separate. It can't be. There can't be anything wrong with this. Once we start to see that, it's instantaneous that everything else becomes whole. Every single thing, every creature, every other human being, every seemingly separate object becomes very whole, and we start to have some pretty intense experiences from there. Um, the way reality seems to be starts to dissolve, and those lines blur, and we don't have a sense of separation from even objects that seem to be separate beforehand. We start to feel connected to everything pretty quickly. Yeah. Wow. Just the truth. It is the truth, man. We're all interconnected. All is one. And one is all. So when we realize that all is one and one is all, how does that translate into there is no suffering? Is it because we realize in this sense of infinite oneness, it's all perfect and any problem that we see within or without is just some kind of illusion, some kind of narrative that we build? Yeah. So the, the self, the self, the individual self, it is predicated on a belief that there must be something separate just like that. And so the very first question in self-inquiry is who am I? And it's a really simple yet transcendently beautiful question because when asking who am I, and if we were to position the identity in time and space all alone, and it doesn't have anything else to refer to, it cannot have an answer. It dissolves immediately. So the self says, I know what I am because I'm not these things that it keeps pointing to as I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. When we start looking at that rejection of what we are not, we will find right there the very beginning of suffering. It is the rejection of this reality as it is that is the suffering. It is the effort against this reality that hurts the most. And that includes things like beliefs. A belief tends to be an experience or a um, that has an emotional value, maybe historically. And the identity says, oh, this has always been this way and it will forever continue to be this way. And as soon as we establish something permanent in a universe that is clearly impermanent, that is an effort against this reality as it is, and it will hurt. There will be pain associated with that. But it even comes down to things as basic as physical pain. Saying no to anything is a rejection. And a rejection of something that we cannot push away, it's going to remain there. That's going to hurt. It's the effort against this reality on its own that is suffering. I don't like this person. I don't like this feeling, all these things. It's a lot of effort against something that you cannot control, that we cannot change. That's going to cause suffering. So once we realize that we can't actually push anything away, we can't actually avoid these things. And the best thing is to acquaint ourselves with this present moment, with everything that is, we get to a place where it's nice and soft. This stillness shows us that, oh, Even this pain is coming through an interpretation. But if I don't see this as uncomfortable or I don't have a feeling of no against this, what is it now? And we start to discover it's indecipherable from pleasure. So where I'm really pointing you is wherever there seems to be struggle, wherever there seems to be pain, primarily on an emotional level to start, 
Go there and stay there as long as possible and feel it. Feel it, feel it, feel it until you don't know what it is anymore. And if you allow yourself to do that, something magical seems to happen. Mm. You don't care anymore. You don't want to push it away anymore. And then all of a sudden, you can be with whatever seems to be here. Mm. It's quite empowering. Yeah. Beautiful stuff, man. So then coming back to it, you would recommend just simple meditation, like a following of the breath, uh, examination of the thoughts that seem to be coming and going. Just the Anapanasati. Is that how they say it in Buddhism? Anapanasati, I think, mm. meditation. Yeah, um, there, there's a variety of methods and really even methods. I mean, even other spiritualities, uh, Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, you name it. It's not rejected here. What I always encourage people to do is don't allow yourself to fundamentally read into the wisdom. Read between the lines and there will be something felt about the wisdom there. Yeah. Every single spirituality has this wisdom. Yeah. And meditation seems to be where we become first acquainted with stillness. And what that usually looks like is sitting in a low distraction environment. We become very acquainted with these sensations. And by doing so, we can start to see these thoughts from a distance. So a metaphor that's kind of fun to use is if you're there's an old man yelling at the rain and we're watching him from a distance and he wants it to stop, you know, from a distance, that's kind of funny. There's something amusing about it. But if we're in the old man's shoes, that's suffering. So in meditation, if you allow yourself to just be immersed in the sensations, primarily the sensations in the emotional center, because these are the identified. This is where the emotions are, which are very much like a belief also. Spend time there just feeling it, whatever it is, and noticing the thoughts from a distance. When you notice it from a distance, you don't tend to identify directly with it. Yeah. Just like the old man, we watch him from a distance yelling at the rain. It's not as painful as if we are the old man. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. And you can take it off the mat. So really life is the best teacher here, the best pointer. And throughout your day, Check in with notice a thought that might arise. Maybe you're driving and a dude cuts you off and there's this like reaction that shows up and this like, you know, that asshole kind of thing shows up. Point to that thought immediately and check in with the sensation because that thought is attempting to distract you from something you're feeling. It thinks it's protecting you. And every reaction is emotion from steel stillness. Mm. So meditation is definitely a great place to explore this, but it doesn't stop. Once we open our eyes and we begin living our lives, Man. if you can establish feeling as a primary modality of existence, you will begin to find freedom rather quickly because you can prove to yourself you can feel anything and you can feel it all the way. And if you're not resisting these feelings, if you're not avoiding these feelings, if you're not hesitating around these, then what else is there to resist, avoid or hesitate around? There's a lot of freedom there. Yeah. So when we start to feel right is there um, a different inclination in our discernment that comes from not trying to control the phenomena of life? Would you say that there is a more alignment, like I think you said, the flow with a certain logos that one may say? Do you think that one's character as Gary or Josh or the listener uh, changes in the show of life? Mm. That's actually a really good question. Um, the Heart Sutra specifically points to a passage. It says, there is no decrease, there is no increase. Something really strange happens. 
It's almost as if our relationship with all this shifts in a vastly different way, but it also remains exactly the same. So a personality can remain, but the clamoring and the struggle and the fighting for a self begins to let go. Yeah. And what, what it usually looks like is if you feel it is our best compass as this physical apparatus, this human nature, it is our best compass to find presence. Whatever we are feeling is present and feeling alone. So if you're thinking about something that happened in the past, you have to be feeling now. If you're thinking about something that's going to happen, you still have to be feeling now. You can't feel into the future or the past. And so we allow ourselves to become more present. And what starts to happen is these thoughts are noticed and they get slower and more quiet over time. And when there's a vacuum of that thought, all of a sudden, we are so present that there doesn't appear to be any self at all. It's like this center of attention, this center of the universe that seems to be here flips inside out. And now attention is everywhere. Hmm. It's a really very strange paradoxical experience, yet it becomes clear that there is nothing that can be controlled at all. Yeah. Yeah. So you're either with it or you're against it pretty much. You're either, um, yeah, you're with the flow or you're not. So it's either you get with the program or you're going to keep going against it. We can go against it, I guess, forever. We have infinity to go against it and try to control this for as long as we want. Um, it seems to me, but it's like, why would you? It doesn't, it doesn't make yeah. any sense at a certain you know, point. It seems like under the surface, there's always a, a, an intelligence or an awareness or a consciousness, if you will, that's really unbound. In other words, there is something here that is always with this as it is. Yeah. But there's also this secondary nature, this reflective one, the one that has thought that positions itself in the past that for some reason has the illusion that it can control, manipulate, change, and resist. And so it's really just a matter of coming to terms with everything. The best way we can do this is just notice everything, notice every thought, and let every thought be a cue to feel. And what you start to see is this place, we've been ignoring and displacing attention here. And what will happen is we start spending more time with this, and there's this sense of integration that happens. The intellect, the mind, the identity is simply just a tool. That's it. Yeah. And it's a tool that we've allowed to take over the whole experience. Mm. Now, it's like a game or an adventure, if you will. Go on the adventure and see for yourself. Test it firsthand. Start running experiments and see, is it really as hard as this is telling you? Or is there something else? Mm -hmm. It's not as hard as the mind says. <laughs> it's not. The mind likes to complicate it. It's like a fight within ourselves, man. It's like the Bhagavad Gita, you know, it's this battlefield within. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very strange. But um, I know what side I'm on in the battle. <laughs> the side of uh, least resistance, you know. I think this is how I kind of started. It's kind of like the suffering leads us to the path of least resistance, right? It's kind of like we can build as much suffering as we want, but eventually the levee's going to break. Um, so I don't know. I guess what I'm getting at here is do you feel like uh, this is going to be 
like an inevitability for all of us here? Like, do you feel as though this path of least resistance is going to reach humanity anytime soon? Seems like it. Seems like there's something um, almost like, a, have you ever heard of the hundredth monkey? No. So th- according to the story, they were doing research in the Pacific somewhere. And there were these two islands separated maybe, maybe by like seven miles. And they had the same species of monkey on each island. And as the researchers were watching both of these groups of monkeys, the monkeys on one island began using rocks as tools to open shellfish and just smash them, you know, Uh, on this other island that wasn't occurring. And right around 100 monkeys on this island, spontaneously monkeys on this other island, seven miles away, began to exhibit the same behavior and began using stone tools to break open these shellfish. Hmm. So we can call it critical mass or... um, you know, destiny, however, however you want to look at it. But it does seem like we are heading that direction. More and more interest in this area is is coming clear. And there is a there is a harmony. A, a harmony here leads to very quickly, in, instantaneously, if you will, harmony everywhere else. And it seems like we stop living a, a life of greed, a life of um, uh, inefficiency, too. We, we stop harming our environment because... If there is peace here, it shows up everywhere else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like we're heading that direction. Yeah, I think so, too. Oh, man. It's quite beautiful. A time we're alive is quite interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I already asked you this, touched upon this a little bit. What it's really all about, I guess, is coming to find the peace within and then build the peace without, you know, kingdom of heaven within, kingdom of heaven without. So is that where this leads to like more of a compassionate way to conduct ourselves in this humanly vessel, just the natural. So the flow, you know, the logos is just naturally more attuned to the logos everywhere. And then just the byproduct of that is just working in harmony with the uh the seeming world the seeming outside world it's not really outside but you know finding a little more cooperation than we're used to would you say that is the uh the byproduct of this whole thing yeah you know it seems like hmm, it seems like the closer we get to what appears to be a center um you could put it this way to reach a hundred percent authentic self it's to start to realize there's no such thing as a self at all. And we become, it becomes very, very clear how interconnected we all are. This is all one thing. Everything is touching. And when everything is touching, it just flows on its own. So we could almost look at it this way. If we weren't to interfere with nature, nature would be able to take quite good care of itself. And looking at the identity like, like someone that really wants to help, but we don't need the help, that's kind of how it works. Or, you know, a metaphor that shows up is imagine cooking and you have a young child who really wants to help cook. And so you start giving these small tasks to this little kid and carrying eggs and, 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 you know, measuring cups filled with liquid. Yet every time you turn around because of how helpful this child is, you bump into this child and it spills and breaks eggs and you're slipping on the floor. That is the nature of the identity itself. The identity wants to help something that doesn't need help at all. (laughs) And that is this reality. Yeah, it's quite interesting. 
hmm, it doesn't need it. God doesn't need any help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that, man. Yeah, we're just going to get out of our own way. So in a, in a strange way, also perception of time shifts quite a bit. In a strange way, we're already there. Everything is already perfect, no matter what it seems to be. Yeah. Because there's nothing we can really do anyway. Hmm. Hmm. Now, one that doesn't know any better would say, what, what, do you, what are these guys talking about? Like, I, I got to pay the bills. I got to go to work tomorrow. You know, there's, I got to put food on the table. What do you mean there's nothing that I have to do, you know? Yeah. How, how would we explain the sense of no self, uh, that sense of uh, flow, that sense of spontaneity to somebody that has no idea? What it, what's the good news about no self, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Well, this is where it's kind of tricky because the way that this identity orients itself in this reality is in this duality, right? We have, we have working hard and we have laziness. We have overseeking and we have complacency. And so oftentimes when people hear, oh, there's no self and, and I don't have any control, the identity says, oh, well, then you can just move toward complacency, which is a, a doing nothing yet also a complete disassociation with reality as it is. It's a strange experience, but there is a way to take that coin that we're on either side of and flip it up right on its edge and then somehow balance on the very edge of that and exist in a way that we can see that we are neither this nor that, yet somehow both simultaneously. It's very much a paradox. Here's what starts to happen. The closer we get to living in the moment, we begin to have these experiences that life is living us. We still end up doing things. We're driving, we're taking kids to school, we're going to work, but we don't have any sense of anticipation about what's happening. We're not reflecting reflecting on what's happening. And what starts to occur is it feels like we aren't doing a thing, but everything is being done. And I think everyone's had a taste of this in some way. If you're a musician and you've been in the middle of like just improv jamming, you just get in that zone and you're not doing it, but it's still perfect somehow. Or if you've ever run long distance and you get to that point where you can feel your body running, but you're not doing it, it feels completely effortless. Yeah. This flow state is the most natural state of all things. This must be exactly what the tree outside feels all the time. Just being in the midst of things as they are. Mm. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. That's really good stuff. Wow. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want that? <laughs> that just is ease. That's the reason why we go for runs and play instruments or maybe even watch a movie, you know? I think we can all attest to that. We've all gotten lost in the movie. Whatever um, it may be, just being in the midst of it. Yeah. Not needing to manage the experience. And I know that's tricky and I know it feels, especially when we are identified, it feels like a risk. And so I can point to a few things that we can all test and play with all the time. At bare minimum, you have nothing to lose if you choose to enter into a state of full authenticity at, at the bare minimum. So start exploring these aspects of um, freedom of expression, expressing yourself freely without hesitation, explore courage, be courageous, let it kind of shine through. We can't cultivate courage. We can't, it's not a skill, but it is something that's built in. Everyone has it. And also um, creativity. If there is something that's creativity or creatively wanting to flow through, 
continue to allow that to flow through and you start to get in touch with parts of yourself that just don't make apology, that just are not changeable, that are not manageable. And once you start allowing yourself to reach that state of full authenticity, you still live in this world as it is, but something starts to unlock less pain in being who we are. And if there's less pain in being who you are, that's a hell of a lot better than living in pain all the time. Mm. Well said, man. Damn. I'm surprised you don't got this stuff written down. Like, it seems like this is this is really good. These are some good clips here. <laughs> this is great, man. You're a very uh, articulate speaker. A lot of truth in your words. Creativity. Creativity. Absolutely. And, and, and here's what tends to happen. Pay attention to what the mind says about any of these things. So oftentimes when people have a talent, and you know how it goes, there's a lot of really beautifully talented human beings out there. And the truth is, it's like everyone seems to be an absolute genius at what they love. Everyone. And then what starts to happen is the mind says, well, how do I commodify this? How do I turn this yeah. into a job? How do I get paid for this? And it doesn't have to be that way. Being creative for creativity's sake, that will unlock something for you. Yeah. You'll start getting closer to this sense of intuition. And it feels as if we're guided almost like by a divine hand all the time. And it feels good effortless. And it just, things start working out. I'll, I'll give you an example that I've given before is um, when I was in my twenties, my friends would ask me every once in a while, Hey man, you want to go to the club and pick up on some ladies? I'm like, all right. So we go to the club, but it was like looking for women like this, you know, and I find a lady, I find a lady all night long desert, nothing happened. And then maybe a month down the road, I would have a girlfriend and this would naturally start to soften. And as that softened, all of a sudden, it seemed like women didn't want to leave me alone now that I had a girlfriend. And I would ask this question, why is this the case? Well, it was because of this. It was always there. It's always there. But if I'm looking through a narrow view like this, I don't see what's right here. <laughs> and so allowing ourselves to soften that focus a little bit, not being so um, hell-pressed on finding what we're looking for, but to let it come to us, we begin to see that everything you could ever need is already right here right now. And it's always been that way. From the beginning, it's always been that way. Hmm. Hmm. Here and now. Yeah. Would you say that's the gist of this thing? If we can maybe oversimplify it, it's just come back into the moment. Come back yeah. into the here and now. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, that's a really, it's, it's probably one of the best oversimplifications we can use. Um, yeah. Something about this present moment starts to reveal a lot more. We're not living in this conceptual space. When we're living in the mind or these concepts, what tends to happen is we're living in infinite potential, but infinite potential isn't flowing into this moment. It's on the outskirts. So somehow we're actually disassociating from this very moment. And you can almost view time this way. This showed up in a meditation as a feeling. Feels like there's this turbulent orb or disc or something of just energy. And it's all flowing into this very tiny singularity right here. And I don't mean like just right here. It's like literally everything's made out of that kind of kind of energy. And right in that very center, right when all, everything flows into that and it just gets compressed into this infinitely small space, that's the present moment. And then simultaneously, it's regurgitating energy out 
and it's flowing outward and back into itself. When we stay in a conceptual space, we're perceiving aspects of this reality, but we're perceiving it that's disassociated from all that we actually have. And that's presence. That's all that we have. So even if you're thinking, if you're having memories about something, let's just give an example. I have a broken picture frame and you have memories of when you were moving and how it fell off the wall. But now you right here in this moment, you're holding that broken picture frame. That's actually all you have. And that's all that's real. And if the memories come up and they're telling you a story or a narrative about it, it still does not exist because you can't interact with that. You can only interact with this. So the only thing that's real is a broken picture frame. The rest, it's not. Damn. That is all we have. What is right here. Just like that every instant. Mm. If we can allow ourselves to be that close to home, which is here, we allow ourselves to see this reality as it is versus as it should be. And that's just potential. And should is a painful place to exist because potential is infinite. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's an infinite level of what's not here. Huh. Mm-hmm. And then we could say with non-duality, well, it is here and it's not, but it's in this physical form, for some reason, there are fundamental laws of this existence. One of them being gravity. There's no opposite to gravity. It just is. It seems like these other aspects of things to, to come to terms with what is just as it is, is a really nice place to start again get all the way to that space. And that happens in the here and now, and then let it expand. If I were to reject gravity, which I sure could, but then I walk out of the window of my second story apartment or second story office or wherever, there might be consequences to that. I think so. Yeah. So when we reject the moment, there's consequences. And same thing with ourselves. If we reject our truest nature, there's consequences. Yeah. We are at our truest nature. It is the equivalent of gravity. There's no different. This is just a force as it is. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, man. Hmm. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know where to go. Come back here and now. It's a cliche, but it's the truth. Come back yeah. home here and now. Yeah. And here's, here's something just for you and your viewers too. Um, presence is always felt. You can feel here and now, and that's really the only way to know here and now. It cannot be thought. We cannot think ourselves into the present moment because no thought happens in the present moment. It's all reflective. A thought is either based on another thought, an event that has already passed, so on and so forth. So the only real way we can come into terms with presence is the sensational space. And it's not an endpoint, it's a gateway, but it's the most powerful gateway we have. When you were in your mother's womb, you were feeling. You weren't forming conceptual thought, but you were feeling. You've been feeling this whole time. The mind is telling us that we are intellectual, rational beings having these emotional disruptions. And it's not so. We're sensational beings having these conceptual experiences. So being what we are, sensational primarily, will start to unlock things for you that you could not even possibly imagine. Just feeling it. You can feel presence. And it starts to become really clear that if we're really engaged with this space all the time and we're feeling all the time, it's as if we're feeling out here simultaneously. We're feeling the universe itself. 
and we begin to synchronize with the transition that this universe is. And to be synchronized with the universe is infinite joy, infinite joy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like we start to feel something that is like being and becoming simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And, it and becomes. <laughs> even pain, even pain is that. That's what I'm really here to tell you. The things that you say hell no to, it's the same. It, it is that. If you avoid that, you're avoiding presence. Yeah. You're avoiding this, this universe as it is. And it's no mistake why when you hear these awakening stories, they all kind of fall in line with some kind of extreme pain and possibly a death. Even the story of Jesus Christ being crucified, extremely painful death, and then he's resurrected. If we look at it from a distance, that is an awakening story. If we look at the phoenix that is flying through the air and and suddenly combusts into flames, you know, that's going to hurt, becomes ashes and is reborn. That's an awakening story. Buddha sitting at the base of the Bodhi tree in meditation and Mara comes temptation, desire, temptation, desire. And it's as if his body is lit on fire and he doesn't step into resistance of the pain, avoidance of the pain or hesitation around the pain. He just becomes the pain, becomes the flame itself. And he breaks into nirvana, Hmm. awakening story. This is the message. Whatever it is that we're saying no to, whatever it is that we are rejecting, that is where we want to pay the most attention. Now, I would say deep down what we're all rejecting is our inevitable death. So would you say to go straight into that and embrace our death so that our lives become... Yeah. More, more beautiful. Yeah. And the heart sutra says there is no old age or death. And what it's really pointing to is there's only one thing that's afraid of death. The universe, it doesn't know what death is. There's no such thing. Yeah. Everything's in transition. Everything is constantly changing. And even if there seems to be a pattern for life to go through this cycle of life and death, it still is inconsequential to the universe. Yeah. What you are is the universe in a physical format. It's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. And when you step into that form of consciousness and intelligence, you realize there is nothing to be afraid of. Death is simply the concept of the unknown. And the identity is not actually afraid of the future at all. Because what it does is it takes past experiences, projects it as a potential in the future, and it still has some kind of knowing of a future event. Past and future, they don't actually exist. What the identity is most afraid of is the unknown, and that's this moment. It cannot orient to the spontaneity, the mystery of what's happening right here, right now. It just can't because everything it experiences is in reflection. So, death is actually happening right here. To say we die into this moment is a very pithy way to put it. And ultimately, it does lead to a sense of I might be, I might die. The identity will tell you that the sensation you're feeling, that one that you encountered when you were a young child, that's going to kill you. And it's still here. And you feel the inevitability of this universe, of this feeling, and it will fight a little bit. And it'll tell you, if you cross that line, you can't come back and you're dead. And then eventually we get to a place where we just know what we know, what we know, what we know. And we cross that threshold. And the experience from there is no experience at all. It is... A vast nothingness that cannot really be put into words. Yeah. And here so, we are, we're yeah. trying to talk about it. 
<laughs> you know, do you remember? So in, in the early 2000s, well, let's see, before like 2010, I think there was this uh, show on TV, Lost. And one of the characters has this quote, and it's actually a brilliant quote. He says, we live together, we die alone. Now, to take that a little bit further, we live together, we die alone. Most of us have not begun to live yet because we must die first. In other words, (laughs) to wake up is the death of the vast illusion. And that's when we begin to live. Yeah. So... I know that can be quite a lot for people yet little by little test the waters and and you'll just be guided anyway. Just see what the truth is. A, a statement that can be really useful for everyone is there is no truth, but your truth. Just make sure that that's true. What that basically means is explore, examine every aspect of your reality all the time, not necessarily in an intellectual way, But make sure that whatever seems to be reality for you, make sure that it is real. Don't buy into, well, it has been this way and I just believe it forever. That's just a belief and it's causing you pain. I promise. Expand, explore, and see what's really there. Keep peeling away the layers and eventually what you see is, oh, this is is not so bad after all. (laughs) It's really not. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. It's not so bad after all. (laughs) It's true. So yeah, curiosity leads the way in that regard. Oh, it's a curiosity is powerful. And, and just a little note of caution because of how the identity is really good at co-opting and sticking to these experiences is for a lot of people, curiosity leads to some kind of knowledge, a, an end to the curiosity, if you will. So I'm really curious about, you know, where this particular path leads and we take the path and then we find out where it leads. What tends to happen from there is we don't usually go down that path again unless there's other things that we're curious about. So we can put it this way. Knowledge is the death of curiosity. Allow yourself to become curious for curiosity's sake. Explore everything in your existence, in your reality, over and over and over, especially if you've explored it before, because it's transcendent. No moment, no thing is ever the same. Even if there's an experience in your life that feels like a pattern, ask yourself, What new is here? What more is happening now? Is this exactly the same as it was? How do I know? Get really curious about it. And what you'll find is there's no such thing as a pattern of repetition. There is no revolution happening. It's more of like an evolution, like a double helix spiraling down. And even though it might have a similar quality as a past experience, it's absolutely different every time. Mm -hmm. Well said. Always the student. I like to keep that in the back of my head. Yeah, there you go. And... And add beginner's mind. I don't know. Tell yourself, I don't know and I don't need to know. Then it becomes fun because curiosity is the adventure. And some of you might be interested in Joseph Campbell and, you know, the whole power of myth and the hero's journey. That's part of it. There's a beautiful aspect to this human story. And as long as the story isn't the driving force behind our existence, it clearly belongs. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful way to be able to transmit some of these experiences to each other. And... We're human. So be all the way human, 100% human and love that aspect of things. And then you start to see that there's, there's much more. Mm-hmm. Much more than human for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, we still have to play the human game. Even though there's yeah. much more like don't, don't ignore, don't negate the humanness. Right. 
<laughs> and a lot of traditions will do that. They'll say the body's impure or unclean and really spend attention to what wants to be rejected. Pay attention to those things because whatever we reject is exactly where something is hiding out. Mm-hmm. And really the identity, these mechanisms that are kind of on autopilot, the only way they function is when they're not being noticed. When we notice them, they stop functioning the same way. And this looks like any of those self-hate mechanisms that show up when we tell ourselves that we're a piece of shit or whatever. If we pay attention to that mechanism in action, it begins to just dissolve on its own. There's nothing wrong with any of you. There's nothing wrong with any of us. We are the way we are, the way we are, the way we are, just like that. And if we can just step fully into that, you'll see that the most attractive thing for every other human being is just authenticity itself. Yeah. People love it. People want hugs. (laughs) People want to connect. We do. We really do. Yeah. I think that's our, our, um, our natural behavior seems to want to connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we begin to see clearly how connected we all are and it becomes, there is no one else. Not in the way the mind is telling us. There is no one else. There's no one else. This is shared. Yeah. Yep, that's it, man. Oof, this is a good one. You're uh you're a unique um unique beacon of transmission. Man, I appreciate you coming on here and uh spreading the good word. This is good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I don't even know what else to say, man. <laughs> Uh, this is good what'd you say before it's like you come to realize it's not so bad after all i like that Mm. i like that a lot yeah we could use a a hot tub metaphor you know when you first get into that hot tub it's like ooh, you know (laughs) ah. and then as you slowly let that water roll over the shoulders you do get to a place where you go yeah that's nice That's, that's what all these difficulties in life are. And don't allow yourself to be convinced that there's a solution out here for a problem. It's all here. Just let everything point in here and come to a space of feeling it all. And what eventually will happen is you'll see there's nothing to fix. Hmm. Everything is just the way it is. And it's okay. You are perfectly capable of navigating all of this. You can be with any effect. The cause isn't important. If we go looking for the cause, we stay busy in distraction. Yeah. The cause doesn't exist here and now. This is the effect. Mm. All said. Yeah. We can handle it. Whatever happens, we can handle it. Absolutely. You're made for this. And this, in a way, it's kind of funny. Here's another paradox. But in a way, you're proving to the identity that you're going to be okay. The identity just doesn't buy it. No, 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 no. You're not. This is going to kill you, man. No, no, no. Don't do it. Don't do it. Here, here. Start thinking about this. Have a mind. uh, Move into anxiety. There you go. It's the middle of the night. Start thinking about all these things you have to do. Start start thinking about all the mistakes you made at the party last week. (laughs) Just stay busy over here. Because if you allow yourself to feel this, it could kill you. But here's the thing. It doesn't kill us, but it might kill something else. Sorry. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it gets back to that uh, protection mechanism that we established, that survival mechanism, which is playing with that. 
it's the illusion of killing us. But at the end of the day, it's all an illusion. There's nothing very to be compelling. killed. That's it. It's very compelling. And, and just another pointing for, for people who might be listening is um, there's no cost here. So it's not like we just move into a place where we, we don't have any survival ability at all. What tends to show up is um, when danger arises, we move naturally with that as well. We just don't move into a state of hesitation. It, th- the mind is convincing you all the time that you have to prepare for the worst. But what that does is that imposes suffering right here, right now, because you're living in the worst if you're preparing for the worst. Mm. What you'll see is in the moment, you're perfectly capable. And maybe the identity does kick in, but that's what it's designed for. It kicks in automatically. It does its thing. And then we put the tool down again. So here comes a bear and wants to take a bite. Well, we might throw some rocks. We might climb a tree. And after the moment's over, we're right here right now again. No pain. It was just surviving in the moment. That's it but we don't have to live in a state of constant survival. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of zingers in this one. Ramdas says, now is now. Are you going to be here or not? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's not like we really have a choice. Yeah. You're either with it, you're against it. Like I said, man. And when you're against it, just know you're still in the moment, but you're doing everything you can to fight that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Surrender, submission, a lot of surrender in this. Yeah. You know, um, we we can play language is great because we can play with different ways to put this that might resonate differently for people. Surrender can be a good one, but sometimes people will have this sense of, well, surrender implies that there's something that is I'm pushing against that I have to allow. And sometimes that feels like there's too much friction. So we can say letting go, but even then people might have a sense of, well, where does it go if I let it go, if everything's connected? (laughs) So another way to play with it is use the word, let it be, let it be the way it is. Let it be the way it is. Nothing needs to change. There is no problem. Nothing needs to be fixed. There's nothing broken. Mm. Let it be. And you know, but it's, like I said, any of the other language is totally fine. I'm just saying, if you feel like you reach a threshold with something, keep exploring. Yeah. You don't have to keep pounding a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. Let it be. Just let it be. And this includes us. So, you know, looking at this reality that you and I share, it can't be anything else. It's just this way. This is perfection because there is no alternative and we are not removed from this. So once now look at that, oh, internally that becomes something else. Wait, how could I be perfect? Well, because there's no other option for who and what you are. There is no other option. That is perfection. Hmm. (sighs) You know what, man? I think that's a wonderful note to wrap this thing up at. Do you have anything else you want to say? No, man. Just thank you for having me. I appreciate you reaching out. Yeah. I appreciate you. Keep on keeping on. Please keep doing your thing. You Mm -hmm. have a way with words, a way to uh, direct somebody to this, this, uh, the state of no state. It's just um, very direct, very succinct. So yeah, keep on doing your thing, man. I appreciate you. Yeah. Appreciate you too. Thanks, Um, man. Yeah. (laughs) Peace and love. Peace and love to anybody that listened this long. And um, yeah, thank you. I think I said thank you enough. (laughs) Thank you again. Thank you.
Peace.